Amen. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. Uh, Before we jump into things, I have two things that uh, I just wanted to share and address thing one. You can tell, by the way, that I'm a dad of seven when I start with thing one and thing two. Uh, You'll catch on. Thing one. We, you'll recognize that today we have a service that is, is family-friendly. We're encouraging kiddos to be here. We have some bags in the back that they can engage with, that they can look into. We recognize that they're, they're going to be digging in through those, and there, there may be some ruffling of pages and stuff. That's okay. That's great. Uh, they, they may get just a little bit loud. That's okay. That's why God invented microphones. I can be louder, and that's okay. We also recognize that um, in the days to come, the 9 o'clock service will be a family service. So if you have children and you want them to be in the service, 9 o'clock is a great place for that to happen. Uh, If you're saying, actually, we really want our kids to engage with some other kids in the children's program, that's great. That's at 1045, and we have that available Uh, after this weekend, that starts. So 1045 as a regular part of our rhythm. So that's thing one. Thing two. Uh, Next week is fall kickoff. And so we want to encourage you to come, engage, be a part of that. We're going to have a a great time. It's where we're really launching out into uh, a lot of A lot of ministries are starting that week. A lot of things are happening. You're going to want to be a part of that and and to know what's happening. We also want to encourage you to to reserve just a little bit of time after the service uh, because we'll have plenty of things for you to do and for you to engage in. Well, in just a few moments, we're going to talk about something that no doubt everyone has strong opinions on, feelings about, and then we're just going to stir it a little bit and see what happens. So we better pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you and praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be lifted up and that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in the things that we do and the things that we say. And, and Lord, as we uh, talk about a variety of, of matters today as it relates to communion, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand, and that in a very real way, Lord, as we engage with you, we we ask that we would honor you and glorify you. And and as we have received grace, Lord, we ask that that we would be able to extend grace to one another. And that even today, there would be just this experience of, of grace in a beautiful way. That one, we live out, and two, that uh, we share with others. Not Not for any other reason. If there's only one reason, Lord, it's to glorify and honor you. So be exalted here today. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Last week, Matt and I shared a little bit about uh, the direction of the church and what we believe God is doing. And in part, Matt mentioned that we will begin weekly communion. And so uh, today begins that weekly communion, and I, I know that there are lots of questions about that, and one of those questions is, well, if we do it weekly, won't it lose its impact? And, and I get that. Some of that is up to us in terms of, uh, of making sure it doesn't become a rut, but some of it is up to us individually that we take, take it to heart 
and deal with it in a, in a very real and, at times, some specific ways. And so that's what we're going to walk through today. I'm going to talk about four general practices of, of communion or, or really beliefs about communion that perhaps you have experience in. I grew up Catholic, and so uh, what I understood to be communion was maybe a little bit different than what we practice here at Friendship. For others of you, maybe you grew up Lutheran, and the way that you practiced it was a little bit different than the way we practiced at Friendship. And some of you maybe who have always been at Friendship, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. That's fine. Uh, we'll explain it as we go. So uh, the, the first one is transubstantiation. And what that practice is, is that when the priest gets communion, he takes it and he blesses it. And when he blesses it, the belief then is that suddenly the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Jesus. It's transubstantiation, meaning that the substance changes. And that's one practice. That's, uh, that we don't practice that, but that is a practice that's believed in and practiced in the West. The next one is consubstantiation. Con meaning together. So the substance comes together. And how that is practiced is that it's believed that when uh, we come together for communion, that the bread and the cup hold the body and blood of Jesus. That the body and blood of Jesus is, is in, with, and under the bread and the cup. And the explanation is often given in this way. That it's a little bit like a sponge, a sponge that absorbs water. It's still a sponge, and it's still water, but they're together, right? So that's consubstantiation. There is a Reformed practice, and the Reformed practice would say that this is not the body and blood, but there is something that occurs in a spiritual way that we receive this type of grace in the, uh, with the body and blood with the cup and the bread. That's another one. And the, the final way is a memorialism. So uh, that we remember the Lord's sacrifice. That there isn't, um, that the body and blood, the bread and the cup, do not actually, or even in a spiritual sense, become the body and blood of Jesus. But the memorial practice would maybe even take one more step and say this. That Jesus has promised that he never leaves us or forsakes us, and that the Holy Spirit indwells us, and therefore there is a mysterious presence that the Lord has with us even when we participate in communion. And the final, that final explanation would be where we stand at Friendship Church with respect to communion. Uh, it's been called a lot of different things, the, the Lord's Supper, communion, even the Eucharist. Eucharist means thanksgiving, so we are thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus has given us. We recognize that. Jesus, and one of the reasons that this is such a big deal, is that Jesus made this comment in John chapter 6. And the comment is this. He says, this body is my flesh. Take and eat. This cup is my blood, take and drink. And so there's this concreteness to his hyperbolic statements that has brought some confusion. Regardless of where you stand in those four belief systems, 
the reality is that Jesus called his church together for communion. Early on, it started to deviate. There were problems, as you can imagine. Uh, I'm going to have you go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As you're turning there, I'll, I'll set this up. So Corinth is this great city in Greece. It was a port city. It was especially helpful because if you could go to the port of Corinth, you didn't have to go around this turbulent area where many, many ships crashed uh, because of the turbulence of the sea. But it wasn't exactly uh, easy to port there. They would take slaves, and these slaves would haul these ships across land, a couple of miles across land, to get to the other side. So what would happen is these people from all over the world would come into this port city of Corinth, and they would spend their money. And in spending their money, they were spending their money on uh, uh, booze and alcohol. They were also spending their money... um, in temple prostitution, which was big in Corinth, in the city of Corinth. The same time all of that is happening, cultures coming together in the city of Corinth, there are some believers, some people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the only one who can save. Some of those believers are Jewish. Some of those believers are from the varied cultures around And they're coming together into this common place to worship. And early on in the church, there was this practice of a love feast, is what they would call it. It was agape feast. They they would remember this incredible love that had been given to them by the Lord, and they would get together and have these wonderful potlucks. But the problem was, not everybody got to eat at those wonderful potlucks. The food wasn't just for everybody. Some people got full. Some people even got drunk in these love feasts. And others weren't getting anything or very little. And that was a problem. Paul is going to address it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, I want to set this up just even a little bit more. Because Paul is going to start this section by saying, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So there is this idea that Paul is taking, bringing the church together and saying, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Those things that I do that are like Jesus, I want you to do. And then he commends the church for the traditions that he's passed on to them and they've begun to practice. One of those traditions is the tradition of marriage. That a husband and wife are uh, united, they're together. The husband for the wife, the wife for the husband. And that this reflects the glory of God and that God is the headship over the husband and the wife. And he commends them in that. And then he begins to talk about another tradition that had been passed to the church that he does not commend them about. And that is the Lord's Supper communion. And that's where we're going to jump in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. And as, as you're turning there, I do want to draw our attention to verse 16 first. Because the, the issue has become you can imagine that you get all these people together and everyone has an opinion. And many of those opinions are based on cultural norms and beliefs. And because of that, these opinions are varied, right? And Paul is going to call them to unity. And he says it like this in verse 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice. Nor do the churches of God. In other words, look, 
if your goal is to complain and cause strife, that's not our practice. That's not what we do. It's a reminder of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Father, make them one as you and I are one. And the church, is, the church leadership is trying to hold on to that. Paul, in this passage, is going to bring the church together saying that communion is one of the ways that we stay together. And you're going to see this lived out in the following verses. Let's jump in and we'll walk through it together, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So, Paul is identifying that the church is coming together, they're eating their meals, they're having these big potlucks, and people are going away uh, hungry. They're not being cared for and met. And that's not the purpose of communion. So what we're going to see is this pure communion. What communion, the essence of communion should be. What, what it is with, without any additions to it. What is communion? And Paul is going to communicate that to the church in the following verses. So hang on, verse 23. He says it this way. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pause there. Uh, Paul is identifying, first of all, what Jesus says, and he's also identifying the role of the church that we're, we're supposed to practice communion together. That we're supposed to engage, and I love that, until he comes we're, we're going to flesh that out a little bit more in just a few moments. So if you have your pen or highlighter, I would encourage you to underline or highlight until he comes in verse 26. Let's keep going. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Some of your translations say fall asleep, but it's, that's what he's implying, is that they've died. Without going into tons of detail, I'll tell you that over the course of the last 25 years, I've had two people who have come to me very sick, ill for an extended amount of time. And in both of those cases, independently, came to me and they said, I think 
perhaps some of this is because I've been flippant in my participating in the Lord's Supper. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, I, I, I have just participated. I haven't repented of sin. Uh, I haven't changed my life. I, I, I just have participated knowing that I should and didn't. They did. They repented. And some things changed. Now, we could argue, okay, so was there something else going on? Maybe. Maybe there was. But I'm just going to tell you, I'm not chancing it. (laughs) If it says it in the Scriptures, let's go with that. Some people are getting sick and ill because they're flippantly engaging uh, in the Lord's Supper. Let's continue on. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So this is... This is the tradition that's been handed on from the earliest of days. Jesus began it just before the crucifixion, and it was extended in the early church to the point that it wasn't just weekly that it was participated, but daily in some cases. In many cases, getting up before sunrise and participating together as a church, not because of the grace that was given that somehow we were receiving salvation because of this practice, but rather something else. And that's what we're going to look at. Communion is pure. Communion is pure as it's given in this passage. And I want to spell that out a little bit, and I want to look at it broken down throughout this passage a little bit more clearly, because I think if we're going to engage regularly in communion, we need to be on the same page. And being on the same page... uh, is going to help us, like, what really matters in this? Okay, well, let's talk about that. The first thing that we identify is that communion is prophetic. Communion is prophetic. Remember Jesus. He takes the bread and he breaks it before he goes to the cross. This is my body. Prophetic, or being a prophet or prophesying, can look two ways. It can be forth-telling. So forth. We are looking at the scriptures. We're understanding the scriptures and we're proclaiming them forward. It's forth-telling. It's also, it can also be foretelling. Something that is about to happen. This event that will happen. That's foretelling. That's also prophetic. And Jesus in this is talking about his body that's broken, his blood that is given before he goes to the cross. He's prophesying about an event that will take place. But then also, if you go to verse 26, where I ask you to underline, until he comes, meaning Jesus is coming again. He's returning. A part of this piece of communion that we can't leave out is that Jesus is coming again. Over 350 prophecies that have been about Jesus and this Messiah to come have been fulfilled. There are only a few that haven't. The few that haven't speak of His return. He's coming again. We're reminded from the earliest of the church histories, He's coming again. 
It's a prophetic message to the church. Live in such a way that we're preparing for the Lord's return. Let's keep going. Not only is it prophetic, but it's also uniting. As I said earlier, that the, this church is multicultural. In a very specific sense, there are people from, uh, from Rome, from we know for sure, from northern Africa. We know that there are people from Corinth there. There are a few people in from Jerusalem. The, this is a diverse group. Uh, they all grew up a little bit different, emphasizing different things in their homes, uh, different things in their culture. How do you get them unified by focusing on what matters? Jesus. Jesus reminds them by taking the bread and breaking it. God is coming in the flesh and he's giving his life for us. And we can see that when Jesus is on the cross and his side is pierced. His body is broken. Nails are put in his hands and in his feet. His body is broken for us. The cup is given. We're reminded that God in the flesh was willing to give his life to spill his blood that we could have life, not just to cover up sin, but to take sin away. We're united in that. It's not something that I can do. It's not something that my culture does. It doesn't matter what family line I've come from, but rather it's the work of Christ that gathers us together here and unifies us. Jesus addressed this even in his prayer just before he goes to the cross. Father, make them one as you and I are one. If we're trying to find what is it that connects all of us, it's Jesus. It's the fact that we're sinners. It's the fact that we need a Savior. It's the fact that we can't save ourselves. It's the fact that God came in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave and gives life to anybody who calls on him and he's coming again. That unifies us. That's what brings us together. Communion reminds us of that. It's unifying. It's not just unifying, though. It's also reflective. In other words, we we have to take some time to reflect. People were getting sick during this. Verse 27 Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That sounds pretty specific and pretty heavy. What is Paul telling us here? He's telling us that this table is not for everybody. It's not something that we just flippantly engage in. One, am I a believer? It doesn't make sense without that. So when we participate in communion, the first question that we're asking is, have I, have I received Jesus as my Savior? Is he my Lord and Savior? Is, am I following Jesus? Like, really? Have I surrendered to him? That's the first thing. And then, and then secondly, we're examining our heart. Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there any unconfessed sin? And to deal with it. Jesus calls us to communion But the Holy Spirit is also reminding us that we need to get some things right. So let's do that. Uh, My son Lou is right there. Lou, if you raise your hand. Lou, we're good, right? At least up to this moment. Okay, good. Uh, So I want to give an example. Let's say that we're getting ready for communion, 
And as, as, I'm, as I'm just contemplating and examining my heart, I recognize that there's some sin. And I'm making this up. This did not happen. Please understand, this is just for illustration purposes. But Lou and I had a conversation, and I got really frustrated with him and very angry, and I responded harshly. I remember that during communion. So what do I do? Just ignore it? Do I just say, well, God, forgive me? Maybe, but perhaps the answer is this, that I go to Lou and I say, Lou, I, I just want to tell you that we were together the other day. Uh, things got a little heated. I responded this way, and I'm sorry. And because Lou's a godly man, because he loves Jesus and he's seen the grace of God in his life, he's probably going to say, Dad, I forgive you. What does that do? That frees me up to participate. I've seen this happen many times. In fact, it happened at the 9 o'clock service. I got to witness it. But I'll tell you about the third time I saw it happen. There was a lady in the front row. She sat right there. Not in this church, but in the church I'm thinking of. doesn't help you, but it does me. She's sitting right there. We get ready for communion, and we talk about examining our heart, and I see her getting real fidgety. She's just in my corner of my eye, so I can see it real clearly. She's fidgety. Finally, we give opportunity for people to examine their hearts and, and to participate as they have freedom of the Lord to do so. And she stands up, and instead of going to the table, she goes to the back. And I thought, man, I said something that made her mad. I don't know what I said. I didn't mean to, but I must have said something. Nope. She gets up, and she goes to the back, and she finds a lady who's about three rows from the very end, and she points to her, and she asks her to come out. And they step out of the room for just a few moments, and they come in, and they're both crying, and they're holding hands, and they walk down to the front together, and she serves her. This is the body that was broken. This is the blood that was given that we could have life. And they sat, they sat back down. There was a rift between them. I don't know all the specifics, but I do know that from that day on, there was a change that occurred. Why? Because they were examining their heart. They were being reflective during communion. And it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. It was uniting. It reminded us of the work of Christ. And because that's true, communion is also evangelistic. Communion is also evangelistic. I, I love this beautiful picture of communion, that it, it so clearly gives us the gospel. <laughs> the body that was broken for me. Well, the blood that was given. Why? Well, well, because there needed to be a sacrifice for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Scripture reminds us. Oh, well, I, I didn't, my body wasn't broken. My blood wasn't given for this. Jesus says, yeah, but mine was. It's a reminder. Only Jesus can do that. And, and that I need that. I need to participate in that. So, here's the story. My older kids were real little. And one of my, one of my sons, uh, he collected a bunch of the communion cups afterwards and got some and got some bread. He, he took it from the church. I didn't encourage that part. He just did it. Uh, we went over to the house after the service, and around the table was the cup and the bread. Filled with juice. He went around and did it. Except for, for my daughter. 
my oldest daughter at the time, uh, my only daughter at the time, the oldest, had, except for her. And she said, in her little, her little voice, why don't I have it? And he said, because this is for people who've trusted Jesus as their Savior. And she said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is my kid saying this. I'm like, what? I'm taking notes. That, uh, that's good. All sinned. That's, was that somewhere? Okay, anyways. Um, and he says, yeah, we, we've all sinned. And we need somebody to save us and we can't save ourselves. And Jesus died for you. And she said, I believe that. He led her in a prayer. It was the most beautiful thing but it reminded me of the reality and the beauty and the simplicity of communion, that it spells the story. You can't participate if you're not a believer. It doesn't make sense. It's not for you. And for this boy to be so, so wise, he could have just said, okay, well, that's too hard to explain. I'm not going to do it. Instead, he purposely leaves her out so that he can tell her. That's cool. Friends, I tell you this, that there may be an opportunity in your family or maybe even with your friends to be able to share the reality of the communion table. This, this is for believers. It's not because we want to leave you out. In fact, you're welcome to it. But there, there is a standard, and the standard is, and the only way that this makes sense is for us to surrender to Christ, the one who was willing to give his life that we could have life, the one who was calling us to himself because we, we couldn't do it ourselves, the one who was way, willing to clean us up because we couldn't clean ourselves up, the one who gave his body as a sacrifice, who offered his blood to take away our sins, that, that is the beauty of this table and what the church has practiced for 2,000 years. And we come together in remembrance of that, recognizing that it's a message of evangelism. And we get to participate in that. The worship team is going to come here in just a moment. And as they come, I, I want to talk through this a little bit better together. Uh, because you recognize this is a little different than the way we've, we've been doing it, and, and maybe you saw the setup or wondered, hey, wait, where are the cups and stuff out there? We're, this isn't right. Uh, we understand that. But we wanted this to be participatory. In other words, it's not a passive decision that we're making. It's a participation that we're choosing or not choosing, and that's okay. So, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. And then he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. He's not talking about communion. But I would say that there are few things that we can do that is uh, any easier than fulfilling that passage than participating in communion. And this is what that might look like. In just a moment, the worship team will come and they'll lead us in a song. And as they're leading in that song, you'll have the opportunity to come forward and get the, the packet that has both the cup and the bread in it. This is how we're going to ask you to do that. First of all, to examine your heart. Once you've done that, we're going to ask you to go to the rugged area. And this is what that looks like. This section will go towards the middle, to this rug. This section will go to this rug. This section, 
It's getting tricky now. Hang on. We'll go to this one. This section will go to this one. And, and then, once you've gone to your place, you'll, you'll go around, get the cup, that, or get the packet that has both the cup and the bread in it, and then return on the outside to your seats. Return on the outside to your seats. This will help with flow. And you might be thinking, okay, well, uh, what happens when I'm right here and this other group is right there? And be nice. I don't know. Uh, be kind to each other. <laughs> be gracious. <laughs> Let them go in front of you. Or quick run in front of them. I don't know. Uh, be nice. So the reason that, uh, again, the reason that we're doing this is participatory. Recognizing that we get the opportunity to respond in faith to the Lord. I strongly want to encourage you, if there is any sin that needs to be confessed, that you pause before God now and address it. I strongly want to encourage you, if there is some relationship that needs to be healed, let's do it now. This is a calibration. I'll say it this way, friends. I don't want to play church. I don't want to do it. I don't want to just show up and do things because it's the rote thing to do. It's the way we've always been doing it, and it loses meaning, and the world looks in and goes, well, what's different about them? And all we can say is, mm-hmm. I don't want to play church, and I suspect because you're here, you don't want to play church either. But we want to be the church. And to be the church means we're going to have to do the hard things. And sometimes those hard things are confessing sin. And sometimes that sin that we're confessing, I I just got to tell you, it can be in there for a long time. It can be really tough. But when we go, Holy Spirit of God, would you address any sin that's in here? Because I want nothing between us. You died for that sin, and I don't want to carry it around. God shows up, and he does some beautiful things. And then you can feel free to stand up, go to the edge of your row, come along, get both the cup uh, and the bread, and then return back to your seat. And then at the end of this song, we're going to participate together. Now, I also recognize that there may be some people here that it's just really hard to get up and get around, or, or there's concern about tripping or falling, or maybe there's even some health issues that would keep you from coming forward to participate. I will be here. I'm going to stand right down here, and I'm looking for people to just, you just kind of wave your hand at me, and I will, I will get it, and I'll bring it to you. Uh, that would be my privilege to be able to serve you right where you're at if you need that. So, so, just so we're all on the same page. Sound good? Great. Let me pray as the worship team prepares us for worship. Jesus, we love you, and we need you. We thank you for the cross and for sins forgiven. We thank you for the life that you've given us in you. So, Holy Spirit, I I pray right now, give us eyes to see. Have we received you as our Savior? And, And then examine our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we wouldn't flippantly engage in communion, recognizing that it's it's your work, it's not ours that we're celebrating here today. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. As you feel the peace of God after examining your heart, feel free to come forward for communion respectively.